Okay, we're going to be in Titus chapter 1 this morning. We're this morning beginning to go through the book of Titus for several weeks. Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. Page 835 in these Bibles. That helps. Way towards the end of the Bible. Okay. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, just the um, the way the intro to this book ends is what we desperately need in our hearts and in our community, in our world. Your grace and your peace. And Father, I don't I don't know what's going on in the, in the hearts and the minds of each one of us that are here today and regarding our own lives and our families and um, our jobs, our, uh, our financial situations, our health. But Father, we need your grace and we need your peace. As we look at the world around us, we look at what's going on in, uh, in Israel and in the Gaza. Father, we look at what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. We look at what's going on in... Uh, Liberia with Ebola and, and Father we uh, we just live in a world that is that we are in desperate need of your grace that you have given us in Jesus and your peace that passes all understanding so Father even as we're here this morning I pray and ask for your grace and and, and your Holy Spirit just to open our eyes and open our hearts to your truth uh, Father, in a fresh way to fix our eyes on you, our hope, in the midst of a world that offers no hope, and that because we've been here this morning, we will, we will, um, kind of what the psalmist said in Psalm 63, we'll have hearts that long for you more, that want to know you more, and want to experience the reality of who you are in our lives in a deeper, fuller way. We just give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you were um, coming here this morning, I wonder how many of you thought, this is kind of a weird thing to do on a Sunday morning. 
mean, you know, you come and sit in chairs lined up, um, sing some songs, go through some silly hand motions. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my wife will get me for that later. Um, sit and listen to some guy talk, listen to some announcements. If you really, if we stop to think about it, church is an interesting thing. Um, and it comes in all different sizes and shapes. Um, <laughs> that's my grandchild. <laughs> um, you think on the if you think of church in in one way, I mean, not right now because there's a time difference, but in other parts of the world, I mean, in in a, in a place like China or Iran or Afghanistan uh, or Vietnam, I mean, right. You know, in relation to this time period, I mean, there's there's a few, well, a lot, but in clumps, a few poor followers of Jesus that are meeting in homes secretively, and that's the church. And that that there's millions of people around the world doing that uh, in secret. Just a few people, often. The poor people persecuted. If, if if it was known they would meet him, they'd be they'd be persecuted or, or put to death. That's the church. On the other hand, probably at the same time, right now in big cities across the United States of America, there's mega churches where there's thousands of people. I saw yesterday on the news. I mean, a church with nineteen thousand people um, meeting on a Sunday morning with big campuses or multi-campuses or, and tens of millions of dollars budgets. I mean, so the church is, is an interesting thing. Um, and churches can be known for all different things, too. I mean, some churches are known for their teaching or their preaching. Some are known for their, their music, for their missions, outreach, for their money. Uh, for their fellowship or their youth programs or children's programs. Uh, those of you that know me a little bit know that I'm, I'm no fan of televangelists. Um, and this, um, it was reiterated to me, and, and I've shared this with some of you, it was reiterated to me a while ago when Cindy and I were on one of our... Um, motorcycle trip somewhere and we were staying in a motel and you know we don't have a TV at home so you know when we're in a motel you know you get this TV so surfing the channels and and came on this uh, religious station I guess and this televangelist and Cindy kept pleading with me to turn this thing off and but it was it was just captivating to me watching this because of the entertainment factor, but also because it was so painful to me to watch. This, as, as the guy came to his conclusion, in front of a lot of people, uh, well-dressed people, seemingly intelligent people, not people you'd think would be gullible, but enraptured by this guy on stage 
coming to his conclusion, where obviously his conclusion was to get as much money from them as he could, for God's work, of course, um, took off his left shoe and started hopping around on stage shouting, take off your shoe, take off your shoe, in order to get money from these gullible people uh, for God's work. I'm not sure it was for God's work. But the question, when I, when I look at something like that, I think, and I think of, why, why do they think they were there? I mean, what, what, what was it about? Where, was it um, hoping to gain um, maybe prosperity uh, somehow because of the prosperity that he was gaining? Was it the place to be that everybody was talking about? Was it exciting, entertaining, uh, motivating? What, what do you think the point was why they were there. I honestly, I, I had no idea. But to bring a little closer home, and to ask us here this morning, what, what do we expect to get from being here? Um, information, knowledge. Um, I mean, exercise earlier, you know. Uh, entertainment. Inspiration, affirmation, uh, maybe some people, you know, condemnation, you know, kind of like you hit your thumb with a hammer and it hurts, it makes you feel better. Um, A good feeling, an experience. Um, The point that I really want us to ponder this morning is what is the point of church? What is the point of you being here? Why did you come this morning? To know more? To meet with friends? Um, Because it's the coffee house that you come to? Uh, To get motivated? Why are we here this morning? Why are you here this morning? What is our point in doing this thing that we call the refuge? Um... And so the answer is in, in the book of Titus. And, and the whole book, we're going to spend several weeks going through this, but it's a, it's a wonderful book because it, as we're going to see, it, it's a church that had kind of lost the point. Um, in fact, if you're in Titus, look at a couple of verses with me here. The church that Titus is at and that Paul is writing to Titus about is on the island of Crete. It's in the Mediterranean. And Paul had been in prison. He'd released from prison and he's heard about a lot of stuff going on in this church in Crete. And so he's sent Titus there to kind of turn things around or to, to make things right. Because they'd, they'd lost their way. They, they'd forgotten why they were as a church. Because some people had come in, call them false teachers, and they'd taught them a bunch of things, and the people are confused. And so look at, look at Titus chapter 1, verse 10, if you would. It kind of gives us an idea. Uh, Paul says, there are many rebellious people 
meaning there's people just doing whatever they want to do. They're full of meaningless talk, meaning they're talking, but they're not really walking. There's deception, especially those of the circumcision group. And the circumcision group is referring to people who said you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. So it wasn't just the gospel that they were teaching and proclaiming to people, but they were saying you've got you, you to also be circumcised. Um, and he says they must be silenced. They're disrupting the whole households by teaching these things that they ought not to teach. Skip down to verse 14. He says it, it's, they're paying attention to Jewish myths and human commands of those who reject the truth. And so this church is just kind of in disarray. People have forgotten what they're about. And there's people saying all different kind of things. You've got to believe this. You've got to do this. You've got to follow this. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. We get a little bit more about what's going on in the church. Chapter 3, verse 9. At, way at the end of Titus, it says... There's foolish controversies. People are arguing about things that are unimportant. That that happens in church. Genealogies, arguments, quarrels about the law. Um, Verse 10, there's divisiveness going on. And so it's a church that kind of has lost its way. They've forgotten the point. And so... Paul has sent Titus to this church, literally, he says, to put things in order. And um, as we were, as we were um, looking at the book of Titus, you know, this is a good book to, to remind us of who we are as a church. And, and so we don't forget the point. And it's not necessarily just as a church that we can forget the point, but as individuals. And that's why, really, I started with is, why are you here this morning? I mean, I think sometimes we can forget, you know, what church is about and even what we're about and why we call ourselves Christians. Um, I know growing up, so much of my life, I thought the point was having as much information in, in my head as I could so I would have the answers that everybody needed. It was all about information. And that information, for me, led to a lot of pride, thinking, I don't want anybody else. Um, Is it about information? Um, Is it about... And and it can be about a lot of things, but but what is the essence of why we're here this morning? So let's come back to, to Titus 1 and... It's great because as, Titus, as, as Paul introduces this, his letter to Titus, what he's really introducing is not just what he wants Titus to pass on to the people in Crete, but he's also passing on what is of utmost important to himself, Paul. What is his point and why he exists? So I'm going to read it again and follow me, and then we're just going to kind of work, work our way through it. Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the first. So we look at Paul, and, and this is important because the first thing it says he's a servant. If you look back at Exodus 21, it, it explains what Paul is calling himself here, a bondservant. In Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6, it says if a, if a slave or a servant um, is so in love with, with his master... 
and uh, his, it's come time for him to be freed, and he doesn't want to be freed because he's been married and he has kids, and, and he really loves his master. His master can take him to the doorpost of his house, put his ear up to the doorpost, and put an awl through his ear, put a hole in his ear. And having that hole in his ear makes him a bondservant and, and makes him a servant for life by choice. He says, I want to be your servant for life. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's a bondservant of God. He says, by choice, my life is God's. I'm his. I'm owned by him forever. That's Paul. A bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul, on the one hand, he's serious. I'm a, I'm a servant for life of God. Which is different, I think, because a lot of us, we kind of like, we're kind of in and out, right? <laughs> Like, oh, I'm gung-ho for Jesus today, but Paul says, I'm in for life. But not just a servant, but an ambassador. Uh, He says, um, an apostle, and an apostle literally means sent one. Paul considers himself a bondservant of God, God's, to be his ambassador, his emissary, his missionary. And so his existence, the point of why Paul says I exist is to be and do whatever God wants me to be and do. Wherever he sends me, wherever he wants me to be, to be his representative. That's Paul the person. The question is, as we look on, is why is he who he is? And and, and that's what he goes on. He says, I'm this servant and this apostle to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. And that's the point. That's why Paul exists. First of all, it's to further the faith of God's elect. To further the, the confidence. And it, look, look at Hebrews chapter 11. It's just like four verses, uh, sorry, two books later. Titus Philemon Hebrew chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Notice it says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were committed for. Faith is a confidence in God and a conviction about God. And Paul says, that is what I'm about. It's to further your faith, your confidence in God, and your conviction about God. Um, And to further their knowledge of the truth, their knowledge of the, their understanding of the gospel. And and we're going to see this as we go through the book of Titus, but look at, Chapter 2, verse 11, which just gives us a glimpse. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says, My point is to... Further your confidence in God, your conviction about God, about who he is, and your understanding 
of the gospel about why Jesus came, his death and his resurrection and his, and his second coming that we're looking forward to. Which God promised from the beginning of time and has now brought to light through Paul's preaching. And what I want you to see, what I just did, is I, I, I did what we easily do. I said Paul's point was to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth in the hope of eternal life. And what did I do? I left out a phrase. And that's what we do because we so often miss the point. Because Paul says the reason he's a servant and an apostle is to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's the point. That's the point of him furthering their faith, their confidence in God, their conviction about God, and their understanding of the gospel. It's that it would lead to godliness in the hope of eternal life. I want you to notice that it doesn't end with information. It's not just about you understanding the gospel or you being confident in God or having a conviction about God, but it's about godliness. That's the point. It's about relationship with God. It's not just about knowing more about God, but it's about knowing God better. In in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And it comes after him kind of bragging intentionally to the Philippians and saying, you know, I've been circumcised and I'm a Jew and I'm, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin and I was a Pharisee of Pharisees and according to the law I was blameless. But he says all that was like manure. Literally, that's his word. It was, it was manure compared to wanting to know Christ. And I had to learn that as I was growing up and, and coming into adulthood that all the verses I had memorized and all the Greek and Hebrew I knew and all the theology that I knew, all that information was manure. In God's eyes, if it didn't lead to godliness, if it didn't lead to knowing God better. And as a result, my life being different. So when we talk about godliness, that's, what does that mean? Furthering our faith and our understanding of the truth in a way that it leads to godliness. What does it mean to be godly? Um, well, the good news is we get a glimpse from Second Timothy because First and Second Timothy and Titus were letters written about the same time to Timothy and to Titus. Titus working in Crete and Timothy working in Ephesus and both of them teaching churches that had lost the point. And the point that they had both lost was this godliness. Godliness. So Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4, and there, there's a great verse here. These are verses I memorized a long time ago. 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 7. 1 Timothy 4, 7. And follow with me here. It says, Have nothing to do with godless, godless myths and old wives' tales. You see that's similar to what Paul was talking to Titus about in the book of Titus have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. 
the New American Standard says, discipline yourselves for the sake of godliness. And the word train or discipline is actually the word that we get gymnastics from, gumnazo. It's, it means be like a gymnast. Be, it, the discipline it takes to be a, a world-class gymnast, that's the same discipline and training and effort that should go into us wanting to be godly. But what does it mean to be godly? Verse 8. For physical training is of some value. And I repeat that to my wife all the time. It's not really that important to run, bike ride. No, I'm just kidding. It says physical training is of some value. But notice, godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Godliness is valuable. But what is it? Verse 9. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive. Okay, the whole reason we're disciplining ourselves and training and putting this effort is because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. And I think that is what captures godliness. Someone who is godly is someone whose hope is in the living God, whose life is caught up with the living God in a way that it affects everything about their lives. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. gives us kind of the flip side of it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It says, Paul says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's kind of like reading the news, right? Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And I think that's often what church becomes and what often what our lives become. Is there's a form of godliness, it's because there's information about God and there's interest in God and there's routines and rituals about God, songs about God, but there's no power because there aren't lives that are caught up with a hope in the living God. That's the point. Is that the information that we teach about and preach about and that the songs that we sing about and, and the fellowship we, that we have all for the point of furthering our understanding of the gospel and our faith, our confidence in God and conviction, but it all leads to that we would become people that hope more and more in the living God. Do we? As a result of our time together, are we people that are hoping more and more in the living God? Uh, we're seeing more and more that he's a God that can do anything. He's a God that's holy and righteous. He's a God that's merciful and gracious. He's a God that created the mountains, and he's a God that, he's, he's amazing. And because of 
our time spent together and, and what we teach and our fellowship and our songs, we're people that say, oh, man, I want to know that God. Like Psalm 63, I want to know him and I want to I hunger and thirst after him because, because he's the one that alone can quench my thirst and transform my life, my thoughts, my speech. my attitude, my relationships, my behavior, the way I work, the way I study. He's the only one. You know, the refuge, we exist, and we capture it by three words, Christ, healing, community. Christ changing lives. And I to put it in this context, I because we are helping and focusing one another's attention on the living God and the hope that is in him where there is no other hope. There is no other one or no other thing that can provide hope like he can. And I believe that's what is godliness. It's helping people to hope in the living God in a way that it changes their lives. And, and, and as I was pondering this, even this morning as I was getting ready to come, I, I was thinking about my own life and how easy I fall into a rut of you know, reading my Bible and going to church and hanging out with Christians. But is my hope in the living God... Is it growing every day as I spend time with them? And because I've been here this morning, has it pointed me and turned my attention to the living God that can transform me and to a God that wants to transform me? So I'm not just Dave, business as usual, Sunday go to meeting, but I'm Dave whose life is recognized, as we've talked about, as being with Jesus as a man who's living in relationship to the living God. And if I'm in relationship to the living God, that means my life will demonstrate his life and my morals will demonstrate his morals and my speech will demonstrate him and my behavior and my attitude. And that's the point that Paul is communicating to Titus here. Not a form of godliness with no power, but, but something that's making a difference in our lives. Do we want to be godly people? Do we want to be people that are living in relationship to the living God? Or are we content to just be people that learn more about God, know more about God, but there's no difference in our lives? Just people who show up. You know, as we look into the book of Titus, we, we, we see people and we'll see as we continue to look, people who got distracted. Uh, people came in and said, oh, this is important. This is important. You've got to follow this teaching. You've got you to agree with this. And as a result, there was divisions. There were controversies. They were following after myths. They were, they were, they'd lost the point. And the point was people in relationship with the living God. 
And so we're going to go through Titus. And as we do, I'd encourage us to pray this prayer. It's in Psalm 51. As David was humbling himself before God, and he comes to the end of that psalm, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me. God, move me. Bring me however you would do that, back into a fresh, vibrant, active relationship with you, the living God. We don't want to just be people showing up, right? We don't want to just be people going through the motions, having a form of godliness, but people who are actually in a vibrant, living relationship with the living God. Let's pray. God, I thank you. You are God And I thank you that you made us for relationship with you. And Father, even though we wandered away and we all wandered away in your mercy because of the good news that you offer us in Jesus, we can be in relationship. And yet, God, we... I acknowledge that so often the relationship that is available to me with you, the living God, the sovereign God of the universe, so often I just turn that into information or meetings. God, stir in our hearts, open our eyes, make us people hungry to know you and to have lives changed by you, the living God. Thank you. Amen.